0: Philippians 1, Part Three, in the Sermon Series "Contagious Joy," spoken by Pastor Mike E.: One of the things that I've been doing um, during this time of COVID is I've really been uh, doing a lot of reminiscing uh, about my, my my personal life, where I've been, and. Um, one of, the, one of the highlights of joy in my life was about 10-ish years ago, like 10, 2000, oh, man, it's been more than 10 years. <laughs> By 2007, 2008-ish, um, I remember my first church here in New Jersey. It was this little Korean-American church in Fort Lee where I led a small group. Now, this was way prior to me ever going into ministry whatsoever. But I, read, I, I, uh, I, I led this small group as just a lay person. Now, one of the things about my small group was that it was a little bit more special than the rest of them. All small groups are great. They are. But my small group was particularly special because though we were a Korean-American church, there was a small spattering of diversity among us. We had some older Jewish people, we had an Indian guy, we had, um, we, we, had um, we had some older white people who come from Catholic ba- backgrounds, and we, we had just a whole mishmash of people, and somehow, someway, they all ended up in my small group. All the other groups were Korean American, but my small group was multi-ethnic. Now, among all of these people where we all spoke English, I remember a woman named Sophie, and she was this delightful college student, really, really, really quirky. I really, really loved Sophie. But the thing with Sophie was Sophie was was a foreign exchange student, so she really didn't speak any English at all. And what I found amazing was that though she had so many other Korean-speaking small groups to go to, she came to ours, where all we did was speak English. And so we embraced Sophie. We had no idea whether or not she um, understood everything that we were saying or not. We had no idea. But we embraced her, and we made sure that every single week, week in and week out, She had a place at our table and she had a plate made up for her. Going on um, a a few months into our small group experience, she had told me, she uh, tells me that she really wanted to get baptized which was a complete shock to me because I had no idea that she was ever even ingesting any of the information that we we're putting through. So I exploded with joy and I immediately went to work preparing this beautiful three-week message on the gospel. Three weeks I spent with her. And it went something a little bit like this, like um, that, number one, that we are sinners in need of grace. Because we are sinners, we, have, we, we, ha- we are deserving of eternal death but because Jesus came and died on a cross for us who and took our punishment therefore we have eternal life meaning that we have there there will be a day where we a, after we die we will go to heaven where there is no more pain there is no more suffering after I presented this message to her, I fully expected her heart to explode with joy because my heart exploded with joy when I first heard the message. I expected her to run around in circles with a big smile on her face and to tell all her friends about Jesus. And, and uh, that I mean that's that was what was going on in my head. That was what was supposed to happen. That's what the Bible says. uh, uh, The Bible details that happening all the time. That's what I've seen with my friends. I fully expected this with this woman. But none of that happened. She did end up getting baptized, but that joy, that overflowing joy of the gospel never fully manifested itself in her. A few weeks later, after her baptism, she went back to Korea, and i never heard from her again. And I did some, I I recently did some very deep reflecting upon that experience. I started asking questions. I presented the gospel in a very simplistic way, and it was perfect. Why was there no joy? Maybe, maybe I'm reading a little bit too deep into it, but maybe the message itself wasn't relevant to her. Which then raises the question to me, is the gospel relevant today? Is the promise of future salvation relevant to a people that are suffering now? Sometimes it feels a little irrelevant, doesn't it? In a time when moms, dads, grandmothers, grandfathers are dying from disease, in a time when sons, daughters, sisters, brothers are being needlessly killed by police, when people are suffering right now, it feels like a future gospel is irrelevant. But here's the thing as a Christian, it is our call to preach the gospel, the future gospel, whether it feels relevant or not. My question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Our scripture passage today comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through through 30. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So um, if you want to follow with me along on your screen, that's totally cool. If you just want to sit back and listen, that's cool too. But Paul says in Philippians 1:20 says, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust That my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again, or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Philippian Church, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Let's pray, Metro. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for this message to, uh, that you have prepared in this heart, that you want to pour through this heart and into the hearts of those who are watching today, Lord. Lord, will you bless us with your holy presence today? Will you bless us with knowledge? Will you bless us with uh, new realizations? Will you bless us with inspiration to carry out your work in Christ, Lord? Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you're about to accomplish in this space. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Is the gospel relevant? Is the gospel relevant? relevant now? I really believe that if we're going to tackle this particular question, we need to understand the root of the problem. Why? If the gospel is irrelevant, why is it irrelevant? I want to I really look at the root of the problem. The root of the problem, um, I'm just going I'm, I'm to put it up there real fast, is that we're preaching really only a half of a gospel. Paul is under house arrest at this time. Okay? He's been arrested. He's not in jail, but he's under house arrest. He's quarantined, in a sense. And he's writing to one of his favorite churches. He can't really go anywhere. Can't really have visitors. So he's got lots of time to think about things and write stuff. Now, Paul doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He has... No idea what the future looks like for him. I don't know if you can relate a little bit, especially during this time. He doesn't know whether or not he's going to live or he doesn't know whether he's going to die. The future is unknown to him. And so naturally, he is contemplating life and death. And so he says in the first part of this passage... I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Now Paul is giving us a glimpse into gospel here he can't decide. He's come to the conclusion that either path that he takes from here, whether he is executed, whether he continues to live, either one is good. It's great. If he dies, he says, that's cool. That means that I get to go with... And be with Jesus Christ in heaven where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering, where there is no more disease, where there is no more oppression. And I can rest and rest in eternity. That's cool. I can do that. I'm prepared to do that. But if I live, that's cool too. That's great. Because if I live, I get to continue in the working of Jesus Christ in this Philippian church and everywhere else. It seems to me that he is presenting two gospels. Not, no, let me say that again. Not two gospels, but two halves of the same gospel. We know the death gospel. We know that our salvation is guaranteed after we die. But Paul is suggesting That there is a gospel prior to that, in this life, in the present. It seems that the the present gospel has something to do with working for the Lord. Let's go a little bit deeper. Matthew 10, 7 through 8. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's about to send them out. And he makes a claim, and then he makes a commission. Right, And so he says, go and announce to them, the people, that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. His claim that the kingdom of heaven is not some faraway place. It's not some place that you just go after you die. It's here. It has arrived. And so, therefore, disciples, go out and I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cure disease, cast out demons, give generously. Because in heaven there is no sickness, no death, no disease, no demons, no depression, no oppression. Jesus is commissioning his disciples to make earth like heaven, to make this life like the promised future. Paul goes on to say in a completely another letter that faith without works is a dead faith. A gospel of death is not the gospel at all without a gospel of works. Here's the solution. We, here's the solution to being relevant with the gospel. We need to preach the full gospel. We need to absolutely talk about the death gospel, what happens after we die, but we also need to be preaching the life gospel, the one that happens right now in the present. It is no wonder that sometimes the gospel, the death gospel, feels irrelevant to those who are suffering. It's because we, as Christians, as conduits of Jesus Christ, are not addressing the suffering. We're not doing anything about the suffering in the now. Our call, folks, is to absolutely preach the future, but to let the knowledge of the future inform the actions, the works of our present. Don't just promise the end of suffering one day. Alleviate the suffering now. So what's this look like? What's this look like in scripture, first of all? Let's go into the Philippian church for just a second. If you remember correctly from Pastor Hosang's sermon, he gave a a bunch of background about the Philippian church. But there's two people that that we think were members of the Philippian church that gives us a little bit of insight into what they were like. And there there was a a woman named Lydia and there was a Roman jailer. Now, Lydia... The Bible tells us that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, this is extremely, extremely significant. Because back in the day, purple cloth was very, very hard to come by. I don't know why. Maybe they didn't have the dyes or whatever. But somehow, Lydia had the hookup. And so, it was very, very rare. So, she would would gain access to this purple cloth and only... Only celebrities, only rulers, only noblemen were able to afford this purple cloth. So she was a savvy businesswoman. She was rich. She she was powerful. She rubbed shoulders with the, the, the the highest of society. It would seem on the surface that this fashion consultant for the rich had it all together. But a little deeper look into her would see that she had some brokenness that Paul would address. The other person, the Roman jailer, is very different, very different than Lydia. The Roman Roman jailer, if you remember correctly, he was the jailer that was present when Paul was in prison for the first time. And if you remember correctly from our Acts series, Paul and Silas are in jail, and the conditions are terrible, but somehow they're singing praises to the Lord. And the Lord sends a big earthquake, that prison cell splits open, and this Roman jailer is about to commit suicide because he's just failed at his job. And Paul stops him and says, don't kill yourself. Now this jailer, he's used to working with the most debased people of Philippi. He's thick-skinned, he's not gentle, he's tough. Some theologians think that he was a retired Roman soldier, assigned to prison duty because he's got really not a whole lot left in the tank, that he's older. He is a war veteran. So what does a war veteran and a fashion consultant for the rich have in common? What brokenness could they have in common? Lydia On the surface, we, using our American values, think, man, she's got it going on. She's perfect. A a successful woman, it aligns with our values. It's awesome. But you have to take into consideration that this, this was not America that she was in. Back in those days, a woman's worth was determined by who? Her husband. And the fact that this woman had no husband, it seemed like that she was single, and yet she made it herself. If you can, ima- can you imagine the anti-feminist comments that she must have received? And think of the loneliness that she might have to feel. Like, yes, she's got money, and she's rubbing shoulders with all these power pe- powerful people. But she doesn't fall into the category of traditional woman. She doesn't fall into the category of man. She's kind of in a, an area by herself. She's lonely, and she doesn't feel included in anything. Roman jailer, Roman jailer, he's been disgraced. He's failed at his job. He was once a part of the Roman legion where he had brothers and, and accountability and, and, and the, the, the whole bro culture. That's kind of how, how I imagine it in my mind. And all of a sudden, she's, he's done. Isolated in a prison by himself. He's also broken. He's also wanting connection. He also wants to be included So Paul brings the gospel of inclusion here. It's so great. Paul did the work. Not only did he preach the future gospel to them, but he did the work of the present gospel. He gave them a place in the church. Rather than shun Lydia, he embraced her. And he said, you know that big house? that everyone makes fun of you about because it is empty, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any children, it doesn't have, any, it doesn't have a husband, hey, our church is going to meet in that house. Almost seems fitting that the church would meet at the outcast's home, right? The jailer, he has a place in the church. Perhaps... Perhaps he used his military Roman influence to advocate for the church. Perhaps that's what's going on. You know, <clears throat> Sophie, I came to the conclusion, Sophie came to our church and was a part of our small group. Not Even though she didn't speak the language, she was a part of our small group because we did the work of Christ We did the gospel work of the present, of including her in everything. We made sure she had a place at the table. We made sure that she had a plate. And that is why she was open to hearing about the future gospel of Jesus Christ, folks. That's how it works. It is only with the full gospel that one can fully come to Christ. That is the good news. It is not just the half, but that is the good news. So what does that mean for us? What does this mean for us as people? Philippians 1.27, and then skipping to verse 30, says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Skipping to verse 30. We are in this together. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting for the good news. We are in this together. I trust that most of the people who are watching here you know the future gospel. But we are also supposed to preach the present gospel. And we do, we do so through the works. Informed by the, informed by the future, we participate in the works of the present. What is presently going on? Where can we as a people administer the present gospel to those who are suffering, those who are hurting? May I speak specifically to the black community of our church today? I don't know if I have the authority to say this or if it even should come from me, but I really want to share my heart with you. Scripture tells us that a part of the present work of the gospel is to mourn with those who mourn. And after talking to some of you, I am aware that as George Floyd died, it wasn't just another black man dying. I am aware that when he cried out for his mama, it wasn't just a man dying, it was a son dying. And I'm aware that when that happened, a maternal sob was heard across the world from all black mothers. I know that in him, you saw your own son. I know that in him, you saw your own brother. And I know that hurts. And I know that you're suffering. But I want you to know, I want you to know that you don't suffer alone today. And I know that this is gospel to you. I know this is good news to you. I want you to look at this video. I'm gonna, uh, we're we're going to put up this video. Okay? This is the Inglewood rally. It happened last weekend. And when I went to this rally, I expected to see a, bla- a, a sea of black faces with a, a small smattering of different colors. But if you look very closely at this video, you will see that there is no one dominant ethnicity that is present there. It is so well mixed. Look at the diversity. Look at the sheer amount of people of every background to come out to support the black community. Brothers and sisters, we are in this together. We are in this together. Your son that died, your brother that died, that was my brother. That was my son. And it is my plan to mourn with you because that is the present gospel message. And I know that it will be very easy to lose hope because I know a lot of you have seen this script before. I know that this is not the first time the black community has had momentum and I don't know what the future looks like. I really don't. I don't know the path forward. But I believe that one day Black lives will fully matter, not only on the far side of heaven, but here on this side of heaven. Will you, I know it's hard, but will you dare to believe that though I don't know what the future looks like, but that we, your non-black church family, stand with you, that we support you, that we speak up and we will fight for you? Though the nation's attention may slow down, I want to tell you that it will never slow down for us. Not for me, not my household. And I hope the rest of the Asian community in this church. I believe that you matter greatly to God. And we will not stop, stop until you matter greatly to everyone. Jesus did not just preach a future gospel but he also engaged in a present gospel. Jesus not only told the people that salvation is guaranteed, but he went to a poor widow and he lamented the fact that a system that was in place would force her to give up her last two coins because of the system. He lamented the system. He preached, he preached, God's forgiveness. And then he publicly defended a woman caught in adultery and kept her from being stoned. And even as he lay dying on a cross, to his last possible moment, he turns to a frightened criminal at the end of his life and says to him, today, you have a place in heaven. All is forgiven. Fear not, your future is guaranteed. Imagine the present fullness of his heart in that moment. The present fullness of the criminal in the moment. And I believe that if Jesus were here in the flesh today, I believe he would march with black people, arm in arm, at the front of the demonstration, loudly proclaiming that black lives do truly matter. Jesus not only embodied the future gospel, but the present gospel. Above all, You should live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Metro Church, we should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the full gospel of Christ. That means preaching the future message, but also engaging in the present message. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, <laughs> thank you first and foremost for your gospel, Lord. Thank you for the message. Thank you for reminding us that because you, you went to the cross and that you were crucified and died, that we have access to an eternal life where there where suffering will be no more one day but not only did you preach that gospel lord but you showed us the present gospel informed by the future worked in the present and lord you commission us to do as you did to heal the sick Cast out demons. To mourn with those who mourn. Lord, will you, will you continue to inspire us to do that, to push us to do that today, tomorrow, and every day after, Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit in our hearts right now. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. If you would pull out your communication cards, um, it's, it's on your app. Um, if you pull out your communication cards, there's some next steps that I would love for you to go through. And there's not very many today. There's not very many today. I purposely made sure that it was small and tight so that you can fully engage and think about what you will be checking off. And the first is the same as every week. I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. Hey, if you have never heard... The future gospel, in all of its glory, it is a message worth hearing. If that is you, will you please check off that box, and one of our pastors will get in touch with you, and we'll be happy to walk you through what that future gospel looks like. Second is, please sign me up for the Where Was God When George Floyd Was Murdered course. Hey, Metro. Metro. This is an opportunity to mourn with those who are mourning right now. And a part of mourning is doing your research and understanding to the totality of the problem. And Pastor Sunita Ponton is going to do a phenomenal job. I know, th- I know it's going to be a phenomenal job because I've seen the curriculum. It's outstanding. Please sign up for it. It starts at 1.30 today. Just go ahead and check that box, and I personally will make sure that you are on the roster and that you get the Zoom link, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Three weeks. And finally, I will share the full gospel with one person this week. Whatever that looks like for you, I will share the full gospel. I will preach the, I will remind someone of the future that, that, of eternity That holds them. The the eternity that is free of suffering, free of pain. But then I will also participate in the works of that gospel and serve this person. Perhaps for some of you, that's something big. But for, for a lot of us, Doing the present gospel could be as simple as going up to someone in your circle of color and say, hey, I love you, and you matter to me. That's gospel too.